Gets him off the field. That's just typical what it is. Get him walking. They don't like it. He can run this fucker. Quick pass the ball. Hello ladies and gents, I'm Brian McGinn. Welcome to this week's edition of Action Replay Extra Time where we put this week's major sporting news under the microscope. This week's victims are rugby and soccer. I'll have Gavin O'Callaghan joining me to discuss all soccer. But first I am joined with Billy Keane and Jack O'Toole to discuss Pro 12 after a quite phenomenal game in the Aviva. What did you think of it lads? I think it was phenomenally disappointing. Mm. I think we can we agree on that. Yeah. Um I even if you look at the TV guide it uh, the information had it out as a massive derby on a little info bit on on the the TV guide. I I went to the match. I was there and uh, I was bored 60 minutes in. Uh, the pace was was atrocious and if you want to look at that as a positive maybe you could say it was down to the the ferocity of the two the two back rows, you know, Reece mm-hmm. Rulick, CJ Stander getting their hands uh, hands dirty and Tommy O'Donnell in and around the rook. So that's probably the uh the positive you can take away from the pace around the game you know conditions were a bit slippy as well yeah it just really wasn't a great game like to be honest it was it, I mean both teams had opportunities and chances I mean especially Munster earlier on I think Simon Zebo had a knock on that was basically had the line begging you know I mean but there was three players that ran into the one line and you know there's a couple of different hands in there but the end result was a monster knock on and it, it would have made the difference in the game and there was a couple of little half chances I thought Johnny Holland played exceptionally well in his I think it was his first full start for Munster um, could not, very well have been actually yeah yeah, yeah. and he, he was he was exceptional um, I, we st- I'm still not too sure why he was taken off for 56 minutes um, he was clearly he was steering Munster around the park he scored a try he scored all their points actually up until that point and you know, he got taken off for Keatley, who he did look. He looked okay for about five minutes. I think he, he brought a, a bit of energy, increased tempo. But then after that, it was just it's the same in Keatley. You know, it's the same guy. It's the same guy who's been on the bench, and he's just. I mean, Billy was kind of saying off air that you know this could be his last kind of days in Pro Twelve. Never mind playing for Ireland again. You know, so it's um, it wasn't the best game to watch, um, and it was it was largely forward dominated. I mean, both teams kind of take it. They both teams have very much assumed their coaches' playing styles. You know, Leinster were really technically sound at the mall. Um, and also at the scrum, um, the lineout was a bit of an issue, but I mean it has been good in the past. And they they basically they don't really play with any massive level of creativity. They had some good shape in terms of, you know, they played with some uh, with two lines of play basically in their backs. They would have some decoy runners. They would look to kind of um, get a bit of deception in their back line. But it's definitely not a full firing back line where the strike runners are really gonna give you problems in the fence. Um, so. Look, it was a good win for Leinster, but it's definitely one that Munster should have won. Yeah, but th- when I when I said ph- phenomenal, I think the phenomenal uh, came from how Munster d- lacked that finishing edge. They they even Keane Healy Sinman they 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 could have gotten more scores on the board. They could they probably should have won. Uh, looking back at it at the end, uh, wh- where is Munster's bike gone? Well, I I do, and I don't want to talk about Keane Healy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's got a bit of a bad time, but I I rewatched the match last night to. Uh, to to really you know get a get a better glimpse at it, Keane Healy came on at uh, 68 minutes with uh, the game really 
you know, up for grabs. He was involved in three scrums, one of which uh, he conceded a penalty in, and mm. Leinster had dominance in that area. Um, he only made six tackles, one of which was the <laughs> yellow guard offence, which is absolutely... I don't even can barely register as a tackle. It's, uh, you know, 58 caps for Ireland. This, there's no excuse for that. And then um, one, he had one pick and go, which, you know, Keane Healy have passed would have been would have been something that everyone's looking for but I just want Keenly to stay away from the ball he knocked it on and uh, one thing one thing he did do though is he, he does he does get around the corner very well in defence you mm. know covering that pillar on, on each side particularly in the open side um, marshalling the, the defensive line that's something that his experience does does show up in but in terms of everything else I mean that tackle was just it was just diabolical I know but you say experience and it's like you did mention there 58 caps for Ireland he's, he's been a Lions test player and he would have been if he wasn't injured in 2013 he would have started all games for the Lions as loose head prop he was dominant but it's like when can you learn last four minutes of a game you can't just go chop tackling people in the centre of the field like he basically almost lost Leinster the game a game that they pretty much had in the bag because there was four minutes to go on the clock Leinster were, were in Munster's own 40 basically pick and driving he knocks it on gets thick with himself Munster basically works through the phases and then Stephen Archer carries the ball and he just completely goes for his legs and like you know doesn't make any attempt at wrapping his arms just basically could have basically broke the guy's leg and it's just like you know Munster Keatley knocks it down to the corner then it's like Leinster have to defend it with a grandstand finish for the next like three or four minutes mm. it'd be fair to Leinster great defence Munster basically what happened was they should have won um numerous chances around pick and drives okay I get it like Leinster's going to be defending very tight as most teams do especially in around those circumstances but it's just um, you know I think it was I can't remember if it was Archer or if it was the other prop that came on but you basically had a, had a three man overlap on the outside and I think it's just the difference I think in Super Rugby we probably would have seen that ball go through the hands and Munster would have scored in the corner but it's just I think and I can't really blame props in that situation because if you've grown up your whole life basically the one thing you taught as a prop is don't be flinging the ball around don't be kind of throwing those cutout passes and stuff um, because you know that's not what you're on the field for but I think increasingly in rugby and especially what we've seen this this year in the Super Rugby you really do have to force that pass because with defences now and especially defensive setups it's so hard to pierce um, defensive lines that you really you have to have 15 players on the, on the pitch that are able to do all the necessary skills and are able to pass the ball able to catch able to um, I suppose give it in, in key situations yeah, it's interesting that you talked about handling skills. Brian O'Driscoll was interviewed uh, last week or the week after uh, Six Nations, and he said that it's it's no longer acceptable to have just the seven backs who can pass the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, even looking at Josh van der Fleer on the uh, behind the goalpost, you know, warming up himself and Luke McGrath were doing some passing drills. And yeah, okay, Luke McGrath was passing as if it was off the base of a scrum or you know a, a rook, and it was going right into the hands. But Josh van der Fleer was passing it straight back into uh, Luke McGrath's hands as well. He, he's a very good passer. Okay, it mightn't be as slick or spinning as much as a scrum half would be, but it was going directly. McGrath was running onto the ball each time. Mm. Okay, it's not match situations, but uh, Van der Fleer is one of these players who does have uh, have good hands, and I think Jack McGrath does as well. Jack McGrath and Tyke Furlong are, are very comfortable on the ball mm. in terms of just uh, offloading, and I think if if they find themselves in the middle of a of a back move, you know, like Johnny Sexton's trying to do a loop, they're definitely not going to hinder it as much as other players would. Yeah, I, I just even with Van der Fleer, like we were talking about it off air. Why is he doing that with McGrath in the warm-ups? Why isn't he on the field? Do you know what I mean? Like why? Why is he even doing that in the first place? It's just it's such a mess because okay, Jordy Murphy comes in for Jamie Heaslip since last year's Six Nations. I think when he was injured, he was fantastic. I yeah. mean, there was a lot of questions like, oh, here comes Murphy. Like he could actually be around 
You know, he could be a replacement to Jamie in the future. I mean, this is before CJ Stander announced himself as basically just, you know, Superman. Um, but it's like, Murphy wasn't involved in the Irish squad this year, and, and rightfully so. You know, his form hasn't been up to the same as it was last season, and there's been better players available. One of those guys being Josh van der Fleer. And it's like, why isn't van der Fleer starting? He's, he's got the nod in the, in the last couple of games in the Six Nations. I know he's yeah. dropped for the Scotland game, but I don't think he performed that bad against Italy or England, much less in his debut. So it's just like, it's like what is happening here? There's a, a clear disconnect between the Irish coaching staff and, and the Leinster coaching staff. It's just, this is constantly happening where it's just like, it's like, okay, we've got Luke McGrath at 21, 22 on the bench. It's like, oh, well, let's give, let's put him out of the squad. Let's give Isaac Boss a start. It's like, <laughs> Isaac Boss is like 35 at this stage. Like, he's, what are we going to get he, from him? And he's playing on one leg as well. I think <laughs> exactly. Jordy right. Murphy would even be the better option off the bench. He can play all back row positions. I, I know. And it's just like, look, if you feel like Murphy, at the end of the day, Leo Collins got to stand by his decisions. And if he feels like, Mons, like Murphy's the guy to go, and but I mean, yeah, he's, he's playing at open side. I mean, you got an, an actual specialist open side in Bandit off the bench so it's just like there's a clear difference in judgment between Schmidt and Cullen and so far to be honest I'm going to stick with Schmidt because I mean I mean, Leinster have been knocked out of the Champions Cup and it was flat out embarrassing by the one <laughs> by the one win against Bath I mean because this is what I'm kind of getting confused with because people are going on and saying oh this is a good Leinster side like this is not a good Leinster side a good Leinster side was the Leinster side that won the European Cup like the Rocky Elsoms the Brad Thorns, the Johnny Sextons Brian O'Driscoll, like Sean O'Brien, basically come on the scene. Like that was a really good Lancer side. Like to be, I think we're just kind of you know it's optimistic, and I think it's almost like promotion in basically trying to build this Lancer team up as a good one. Let's get away from the negativity. <laughs> Let's remember Leinster. <laughs> Leinster actually won the game. Who impressed for you? Uh, Teo and Ruddock. Yeah. I thought Ruddock was phenomenal, and if Sexton hadn't scored all the points, I think Ruddock would have been. Um, would have been man of the match. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just slayed him for about <laughs> six or seven minutes yeah. there. <laughs> uh, no, I thought Ruddock was was really good. There were there were he, he found himself in the back line passes off Sexton, and uh, he definitely lines up players. We talk about you know people looking for space. Ruddock does not look for space. No, he looks to suck in defenders. You know he does it fen- phenomenally well. He's a incredibly strong player. Two years ago in the uh, Highland Cup quarter final. Uh, they were in the stad Felix Mayol in, in Toulon and he was just shrugging off those Toulon players the upper body strength of that man is, is phenomenal and something that he just needs to add is consistently having you know very good performances he kind of he kind of fades in and out but he, he was uh, he earned himself that, that bench spot on the Ireland uh, on the Ireland team but in the match I thought Ruddick was, was great and, and Tio as well he was maybe passing the ball more than people probably wanted him to but even you know in the 79th minute that tackle on the uh, on, on, on Dave Kilcoyne just stopped him dead in his tracks with that quick quick tap penalty he just set the tone and I think uh, I think Kurt McQuilkin the Lancer defence coach has been brought in he's, he's been superb he's really um, reshaped that Lancer defence they've got the best in the league I think you know Taylor's probably a stalwart people questioning whether he could convert to rugby league uh, to rugby union from rugby league he's probably leading that Lancer Lancer defence in terms of the mm-hmm. uh, the example he's making uh, Munster standouts um, David Callan came in for a bit of flack I thought he you know, he got the ball in some horrendous positions, but I thought he always managed to like trip himself over the gain line. But uh, I think they missed, they definitely missed Dunica Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he he was he was motoring along very well, but twenty five minutes in, I think he would have grew into that match. And then uh, Johnny Holland, I don't think he did anything wrong. Um, I don't think he deserved to be taken off. I think he was running the game well. People were talking about whether or not he didn't ship the ball out to the to the outer channels and with. You know, the likes of Zebo and Earls, you know, why wouldn't you go out that way? But I think he was running the game well. And uh, 
I think you know I think with these Interpros coming up you know Connacht again and uh, Edinburgh and Scarlet's at home for Munster I think you're probably going to be seeing Holland in that 10 jersey yeah and not only in the 10 jersey but I also think Billy in Holland in the 5 jersey has put down a serious yeah. mark in now because yeah. I think he was exceptional and he has been basically an unsung hero for Munster and probably was being a disappointing season for them um, and I think he's not too far away from an Ireland call up either I thought he was very good very underrated I know Stander and Tommy O'Donnell got most of the plaudits and rightfully so because Stander I was basically I was saying to my dad before the game I was like I I had to do player ratings on the weekend and I was like you can pretty much pencil CJ Stander in for an 8 or a 9 basically before the games even started because such is consistency over the season for both Ireland and Munster and I thought another kind of salient point was he basically shattered the notion as well that you need about 15 games for Ireland before you can really settle into a test career he basically just completely destroyed that theory because he was basically fantastic from the word go same again on the weekend I, I completely agree with, with Billy Reese Ruddock was fantastic and also he's also a very underrated third line out jumper as well I think there was one yeah. particular line out yeah. in the first half where or maybe it was it was in the second half, I can't remember now. But it was basically to the back, right? It was about an errant throw from Sean Cronin, which we'd basically seen all day. But he basically, he caught it like right one hand, basically completely elevated in the air, kind of leaning backwards. It was, wasn't was exactly like that famous Paul O'Connor line against Wales, but it wasn't too far off either. So he's um he's an exceptional player, and I think he's I think he's definitely going to be involved in the Irish tour to South Africa, and I'd hope quite prominently because... I think he's definitely improved this season and he's he's elevated his game. So it was look there was there was some encouraging signs by a lot of different players um on on Saturday and, and while the result and maybe it wasn't the exact old spectacle that we've seen maybe in past but Lens and Monster games, it was there was definitely some encouraging signs there, especially for nationally I suppose as we start to rebuild. Yeah, um, myself and Billy were talking kind of hypothetically last year, you know, worst case scenario for Munster, and it, it, it kind of did happen, even though they ran Leinster closer than many may, might have imagined. It, is this going to be very worrying for them to get into that top four now that, that Ulster has kind of leapfrogged them? It's Yeah, it it is, because, I, I mean, it's going to be hard for them down the stretch. I mean, look, they, they beat Zebra 47, and let's be honest, Leinster, Leinster were top of the table, and Munster really went that far off. So they're not far off, to be honest. And I mean, with the, with the likes of both of the Hollands coming through, um, you know, you still have Zebo there. You still have guys like Keith Earls, Andrew Conway. Still, and they didn't get they didn't get them involved, in my opinion, nearly as enough as what they should have. Um, you know, I mean, this it is. There's no doubt there's a side in the transition, um, but it's. I think once they get Peter O'Matney back as well, this, yeah, I mean, we that's that's, a, that's that. a great, great player to get back. I mean, O'Matney is one of the few world-class players. Always gains the odds, but uh, well, he's fantastic player. He's probably... Yeah, and it's just, it's the same. It's like, I mean, if they can get Stander, O'Matney and O'Donnell fit for any extended period of time, that's, that's a serious back row. Yeah. It's one of the best back rows in the competition, hands down. But the problem is Tommy O'Donnell, for for his work ethic, for all the talent he has in the world, he can't really seem to stay on the pitch for any extended period of time, which is which is worrying, especially considering giving the talent that he has. So, look, I think it's going to be hard for Munster, but I think long-term for Munster, I think the promotion of players is always strong. Um, and and the promote and you know giving young guys a chance and guys in the system that are the chance. But I think in the underage setups, especially in the recent Ireland under eighteen team, there's not a great deal of selection there for Munster players that we might have expected in the past. Um, so for maybe there might not be as strong as a as a production line. I'm not willing to say that yet because I'm not going to judge the under 18s by just you know by um by basically how how good a province can be in the future. But I think one of the big keys for Irish rugby is how are they going to combat the powers of England and France in terms of financial muscle 
because I think I heard yesterday, I think France are dealing with something like 70 million euro on a TV deal that's split between the teams. But I think Ireland and the Pro 12 are dealing with a 12 million euro deal over like four years or three years, sorry, between, you know, 12 different teams. So um, I think financially that could be a bit of a struggle in terms of competing on a European level. Looking at Munster in the top four, you must be joking me. Look at you getting the top six. <laughs> um, bringing my, I uh, I was very adamant about this last week um, that Munster would not win unless they performed above and beyond. I think I don't think they performed above and beyond against Leinster, but I think that there was definitely a tenacity that's been missing. You know, mm. Tommy O'Donnell and just even the physicality in some of those tackles, uh, just the the hits. There was it was almost as if Munster were looking at this as a as a derby game of old uh, and really putting in that kind of that kind of passion of the red jersey they have uh, Edinburgh and Scarlets at home and Connacht away and uh, you know they, I, I, I don't know you could easily see no victories from three matches um, Scarlets okay they lost I think that that bad yeah um, and I hate saying that because I said it to Brian last yeah, week uh, I, I am a I am a four pride provinces and <coughs> I get absolutely mind boggling frustrated when I see the players that they bring in the likes of um, Darren O'Shea and John Andres I mean you're looking at this you said it there and I bit my lip you said transition Jack transition for how long how can you get out of transition yeah they made the Francis Ayili signing mm-hmm. and I think that that was a fantastic one Tyler Blind out uh, no no way you got to look at him in a Crusaders jersey even in a Canterbury jersey and you think what the hell are you even doing um, and Darren O'Shea and John Andres they're not going to add anything they're not going to improve the quality of that Munster squad um, I don't think Anthony Foley Anthony Foley's man management is up to scratch even look at his interviews before and post matches he can't even look the cameraman or the interviewer in the eye how is he going to deal with players Okay, maybe he might be more comfortable but you look at the likes of the amount of monster players who have just been released mm-hmm. have just been released. They, they haven't moved anywhere. They've just they've just decided I'm not good enough. I'm I'm quitting rugby. Um, what did they do with? I Keaton? don't think JJ Hanrahan was in that boat. Though. Yeah. No, but he would have stayed in Munster if you know if Foley had recognised that he was the up and coming that he was going. I think to everyone be. in Munster recognised that that he was Ex- up and except coming. for Anthony Foley. They weren't going to win anything that year. Why not pin your colours to JJ Hanron? You're not going to lose anything. So just put him in that number ten jersey and just give him give him a chance to stay in Munster. You look at Johnny Murphy left. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ivan yeah. Deneen just was released. He's not playing rugby <coughs> anywhere. Ian Nagel decided to to leave uh, a number of years ago. Um, they, they bring in people on six month contracts. You know, Lucas Gonzalez Amrosino. He was good enough to make the bench of a World Cup semi final, and yet he's behind Andrew Conway or you know even Gerard Van de Hever. Guys, oh, great. you know, been awful. Andrew Conway was one of the fastest players in Ireland. You, you know, Joe Schmidt's last year, those uh, rubber kicks along the touchline. Andrew Conway was pacing people left, right, and centre, and he has to go, he has to move down south to Munster to get on the field in the Aviva. Mm-hmm. You know, Lenser player. That's just it's just horrendous and. I hate pinning Munster's futures on Peter O'Mahony because okay he, he you put Peter O'Mahony into that pack and, and it is completely different because it Peter O'Mahony is like you said world animal. class he is an animal and uh, he he's definitely re- resorted his game back to maybe turnovers and, and tackling and, and yet he's still able to bring that physicality in the carry but I think there's talent there, though, Billy. Like, I, d- I do think there's talent. Yeah, I do. If we, if we look at the full forward pack, if you have James Cronin, Dave Kilcoyne, then you have a second row of Billy Holland and Dunnick Ryan, and then you've got a back row of CJ Stander, 
Tommy O'Donnell and Peter O'Matney. Like that's that's a fairly decent forward pack. But I do agree. I think there's more to do with probably the man management. I think the Hanrahan case is about as clear and as blatant as it gets in terms of mismanagement. And then not even to mention basically just just a routine office error of sending the most negative feedback and the most brutally honest feedback to your whole playing squad at the start of the season. Like that's just. I mean uh, that's kind of inexcusable. And and a one year contract extension. If you want, if any, if Anthony Foley's the man, why are you giving him one year? Mm. It, it's treading water until someone better comes along, or till this director of rugby moves into into a full time role. I'm not sure. And Munster, whatever about Leinster and their poor uh, Champions Cup, they've brought it back around in terms of their Pro 12. Munster haven't, and Munster were given a far easier pool than Leinster were. Stade mm. Francais are third in the top 14 after winning it. Now they're comfortably away from relegation. They've been shocking, at and the you time look at their squad. Mid table at the time they were struggling. Y- yeah, they've been going. De- they've been falling further and further down mm. um, that table. Okay, Leicester. You look at their squad. It's it's definitely not the strength of old, but okay, they are actually they're still up in the Premiership. They're at the top end of the Premiership, and then who's the third? Um, Treviso. They have Treviso as well. Mm-hmm. So that you know they weren't even able to qualify with ten points guaranteed. Uh, I, I do think it's a it's a management issue. Uh, I'd like to see a director of rugby brought in and even an outside influence. But that's what's so frustrating and that's what I get frustrated about is that one of our provinces, one of the the feeders for our national team are performing so badly in, even in terms of the quality. I mean, you look at that Leicester, that Leicester performance and even against Stafford say they, they're just, they were disgraceful, one-out runners uh, and they didn't even have the motivation back then. So, that's what I get so frustrated about. And then the signing, I know they're not financially secure mm. but the signings, They'd be better off making one one very good signing or one decent signing instead of three or four that just fill up the squad. How can you do that though? I mean, like, I mean, it's not the same. You're not going to be able to get the Rocky Elson and the Dougie Howlett of old because they, those guys are going to be going to England and France. It's just I think we're playing in a different. We're going into a different field now where I don't think the Irish teams are going to have as much financial muscle. I mean, our biggest goal is to stop the likes of you know the, the, the Jamie Heaslips, the Sean O'Briens, the Peter O'Mantonys. Our biggest goal is to stop them from going to these clubs. And I think that's why we're seeing less and less central contracts because I think there's only about 15, I think there's about 14 or 15 central contracts at the moment for Irish players. Um, and uh, that we used to have about 28, 30. So, I mean, we're putting so much money into trying to keep our best players from going, the Johnny Sextons of the world, that we don't have I don't think the the provinces have the same financial muscle that they had a couple of years ago just given that the landscape has changed so in a way that is positive because it just it, the only thing is we're going to have um, more Irish players playing but I mean there's no point in having Irish players playing if it's if they're just going into dysfunctionality you know yeah and, I, I, and that's what's happening at Munster I agree and that's why I said I'm, I think Munster are very close to being a, a good team that they just need to change one or two things you know who am I to say? I think they're one-out runners, and they have no excuse with Connor Murray. I mean, I was thinking, you know, on my way in today, why don't you just move Connor Murray to ten? Mm. Could, could you do that? He runs the game well enough. I, I think it's worth a shot. He's been moved there for the last ten minutes of some games. Um, and, and Ian Keatley and Johnny Holland, they have one of the best scrum halves in the Northern Hemisphere mm. to work with, and, and a very good pack. So I think they're very close, and I think it could just be a case of maybe bringing in. Uh, you know, an outsider's influence into one of the coaching coaching roles to support Anthony Foley because I do think Anthony Foley needs some support and I want to see Munster doing well, don't get me wrong. I really want to see Munster doing well but I think there's definitely a lack of man management in terms of their signings and in terms of the players that they've released. They brought in Mark Chisholm. Sorry, Breen. No, they no, brought in Mark Chisholm no for uh, 
for Paul O'Connell mm-hmm. that's that's a disgraceful signing <laughs> from Bayonne who are relegated an Australian 34 years of age they've brought him in to replace Paul O'Connell I liked Chisholm I don't 10 years uh, ago yeah. <laughs> okay. okay so I think it's just it's just a case of man management and I do think Munster are close and um, you know I, I was I was happy that they turned up at the, at the Aviva although both sides weren't the best I was happy they turned up Alright I know He gets We talked a good bit About him already But he's got our, our Blood boiling But Ian Keatley What did Munster do With him at 29 years of age He's he, Has he surely Messed up enough times Well, well don't this Don't year? put him into the Pressure cooker With about 25 minutes to go when, when, <laughs> He's fine you know, when, when the guy You've replaced him with Is arguably One of your best players in the He park. had one man Of the match uh, Performance against I think it was One of the Le- Was it Leicester It was one of the Pool games And, and you know But then another another uh, He played Leicester again I think it was away From home And he totally I, I thought he totally Choked But what did Monster do with them Because they've kicked off JJ, like, is there Just anything? Give him the Ian Madigan treatment. Like, bring him on with the last three or four minutes to go. You know, like Sexton doesn't leave the field unless it's past the seventy-sixth minute. He just doesn't. You know, and, it, and it's actually ruined Madigan. I'd absolutely stand by Madigan going to Bordeaux. Yeah. I would have preferred him actually go to Monster. To be honest, in all honesty, yep. um, unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. But I, I think he's. I think he's right to go on to his career. But it's. Yeah, I, I think he just just transitioned to him into a role where he's playing past seventy minutes, um, unless he does some absolutely fantastic stuff in the AIL, you know. But I mean, it's look, it's I think you have to build around Johnny Holland from here. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you you literally the the, the JJ Hanron the case was just an absolute debacle. You, the World Junior Player of the Year has been around since I think two thousand and eight. There's been two Irish players ever nominated for the award. Gary Ringrose, you know, who's probably going to yeah. be the centre of Leinster in the future, and, and then probably Ireland, yeah. and and Hanrahan, who's you know who's playing well in Northampton. So, you've you've immediately shot yourself in the foot on that case. There shouldn't be a, a Ian Keatley. There shouldn't be an Ian Keatley. We shouldn't even be talking about this because JJ Hanrahan and Johnny Holland should be the two players yep. that are in the squad. So, look, I don't think I don't think well, everyone Keatley's an easy target, and he is. He's just an easy. He's an easy one to blame all the frustrations on, but it's not necessarily his fault here because. That monster backline has been underperforming all season. There's no creativity in it. Saeli's a good player, but he's like a headless chicken at times running around, you know? He, he runs sideways, he runs around. Like, the guy is, is an absolute freight train. He, he's got no... He should be one of your strike runners. He should be aiming at holes. And unfortunately, while monster do have a good forward pack, there's no creativity in that back one. And, and especially... And it's actually almost criminal, given the fact that you have guys like Keith Earls, Andrew Conway, and Simon Zebo in it as well. So, look, I, I definitely think a backs coach is, is definitely needed. Someone that can really ignite that, that back line. And, and um, it's been dysfunctional, and, and it's been one of the causes of their of their performances. Finally, final uh, strictly monster question, explicit monster question. Is it a case of they have either really good players and and half of the team is really good and half the team is poor, very poor, do you think? Um, there's a case of probably underperforming on, on some level. Of, of, so you of think there players. is there is talent there? Yeah, but I, I I think it's more it's it's the players that aren't on the field. It's more the people that are in the stands. I think is is some of the problem because, um, yeah, and I, I agree with Billy. A one year contract for Anthony Foley. It's a short term fix until something comes on. And and look, Axel was an absolutely fantastic player. Nobody. Um, wore the monster jersey or did the monster jersey prouder than, than Anthony but I mean at some stage it's just like this is I think he could be in and over his head and, and we've seen it in things like football as well Roy Keane one of the best midfielders that's ever played for Ireland wasn't exactly a raging success in management you know he had a good couple of years with Sunderland but sometimes 
and I actually think in, in Roy's case, he's probably even learned and, and progressed better as an assistant under under Martin O'Neill. And I think maybe the same could be said for maybe someone like Anthony Foley. That I mean, being trusted to that situation, you're not going to turn it down given your pride for Munster. But at the same time, um, it, it could be tactically and on maybe uh, and on a full rugby uh, knowledge base, it could be in over his head too early. I think uh, Anthony Foley needs a backs coach. Yeah, I think the Ford, he was involved with the Fords for Wolfhounds for Ireland and for Munster through a Rob Penny era and the end of Tony McGahan era that were you know they were quite fruitful mm-hmm. they, they were performing well um, and I think a director of rugby will definitely add in maybe a kind of a functional you know player management uh, aspect and we can leave Anthony Foley to literally just coaching and instilling you know some rules and uh, regulation on the pitch but I think a, a backs coach is definitely needed because those performances in the Champions Cup it was just going through the hands it was schoolboy rugby and with the likes of Conway Fitzgerald uh, or Earls pardon me Siley and even Scannell who, who's able to pass the ball yeah. and Murray and Murray most importantly there's no excuse for it so I think it's not necessarily a case of Anthony Foley he hasn't given a whole lot it's the people surrounding him and I think a backs coach would probably be the best because the pack in Munster is sorted and I think it will always be sorted with the likes of O'Donoghue you know O'Callan's quite young and then just James Cronin Dave Kilcoyne even Niall Scannell or Neil Scannell who came mm-hmm. on he, he can definitely perform so I think a backs coach is what Munster need Now but, but before we just touch on uh, the, the Ulster Connacht game we we were speaking last uh, last week again, Billy, about you know the low, relatively low scoring in these interprovincial ties. Now it was a little bit better this week. Um, uh, I think all teams got to double d- double digits for for a change. But it's been two hundred and fifty minutes since Leinster last scored a try in the Pro Twelve. Uh, is that kind of highlighting a problem that we already know? You know, the, you know the Southern Hemisphere teams talking about you know Northern Hemisphere rugby. Is is, is that is that that problem being ex- highlighted even more? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I'd have to probably look into it a bit further in in terms of analysis and stuff. But basically, from what I gathered just on the weekend, it it's not all we see. Common commonly seen in sports sometimes that sometimes the team will actually assume the coach's personality, and that will be the style that they play. Um, you know, like even if we look at Klopp at Liverpool, someone that's very emotional, very um passionate, and and he, he obviously his style is pressing and. Basically, the Liverpool players buy into that, you know, and they buy into the theatrics. And the it's the larger than life kind of. Yeah, 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 and and I think with Cullen, it's obviously his game plan is very forward dominated, um, orientated game plan, a, a game plan that was tried and proven throughout most of the last century. Mm. But I don't know in in the way w- with defensive structures now, in in rugby, I don't know if just mindlessly bashing it through the forwards is just one out runners. I don't know if that's a, a, a key to success. Leinster have a very good mall, and and it was it was it's it's a very well structured, um, operating mall. They they have a good scrum. Um, if their line out is firing, which it wasn't on the weekend, they're a good forward orientated team. And but it's I, I don't know. I I think a lot of it is just I think the way that rugby is going and and maybe I'm just kind of an optimist, but with looking at what's going on in Super Rugby, I, I think a lot of it is ball moving, keeping the ball off the deck, support lines, um, taking advantage of of mismatches. I I think a lot of it is to do with that, and I think, um, we we still have a, a lot of emphasis on possession and the territory, and but I I think. It's 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 all about quick ball, um, and it's all about being able to 
you know, expose your strike runners and, and, and being able to, I suppose, support support lines. And I think it's something that we're improving at. I don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think it's something that we're progressively getting better at. But I still think it's 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 almost like two different brands of rugby when we look at the different hemispheres. Yeah, I think, you know, talking about, you know, northern and southern hemisphere divides, sometimes it's, it's counterproductive because you look at that Connacht match and uh, against Leinster last week and the passion and hits that were that were put forward in that first half is what's missing in southern hemisphere rugby. Yes, you have these Maori and Fiji internationals who, you know, crush people's bones and that happens once and every so often, but you look at the movement of players in in uh, franchises in super rugby, you know, there's not a whole nading your colours to one cross. Okay, Dan Carter, Richie McCaw, they're Crusaders meant till they die and, you know, Ben Smith's a Highlander, but the amount of movement between franchises it, there's a lot of it mm. um, so you know coming from the Northern Hemisphere you know playing from where you're from you know uh, you know representing the jersey Ian Madigan talking about being a Leinster fan and then just the hits like Bundy Aki case bringing that Southern Hemisphere <laughs> physicality but we look at I, I looked at that first half and the, the, the sheer physicality of it I was I was saying that's what the Southern Hemisphere was missing and that was from pure emotion and passion in terms of you know try scoring it's obviously going to be easier in the Southern Hemisphere. The ball's dry. You know, even just looking at the... <laughs> like, people talk about conditions and they just say the word conditions. The ball is dry in better conditions. The scrum half of the base of the rock, line-out, scrums, everything's just easier. You're not slipping. You can pick the ball up with one hand and you see it constantly. So that needs to be fleshed out more because I don't think people understand they just say conditions and they just leave it at that. Uh, Lancer, you said 250 minutes, I think. Yeah. Um that's just two games you know they didn't score against the Glasgow side in a mucky wet pitch in Glasgow with no you know pure second string team and then against Connacht which was a a sheer arm wrestle so you just look and and, uh, exactly the wind as well so you're looking at two matches there and then they scored Sexton scored against Munster okay there aren't going to be you know how many tries the Chiefs put on at the weekend you know six or seven seven, phenomenal amount so you're not going to see that, but you do see something in the Northern Hemisphere. You see passion for jerseys, and that might be a cliche, but it's, it's something that you definitely see in terms of the physicality and putting your body on the line. So you're not going to be able to replicate, you know, Luke Fitzgerald said that, you're not going to be able to replicate Southern Hemisphere rugby when you play in the snow and the wind and yeah. the hail and the rain, you know, nine times out of ten in the year. See, I get that. And and, and also with, with Connacht, I mean, but they play that kind of Southern Hemisphere style for 80 minutes. And so, look, I get it. What Pat Lamb is doing in Connacht will be a lot harder to do in Leinster because just given the fact you've got Leinster players that are very used to playing in a certain structure and they've had phenomenal success. They've won Lions Tours, they've won Six Nations Championships under certain styles of structure, yeah, Pro 12, sorry, Pro 12 and European Cups under certain styles of structure. But there is, what we've seen with Connacht, there is, maybe the Connacht players are more malleable in the fact that they're not as um, ingrained in this certain style that they are basically the discarded bunch you know mm-hmm. so to speak um, so but yeah they, they, they keep that style relentless for, for 80 minutes so it does show that you know that you can that Irish players can actually play this style now look granted the talent level of Connacht is not the same as New Zealand so you're not going to get the same mm-hmm. results but the, they are looking to play that kind of structure and it can only develop over time but there's another thing as well like for instance, I was just watching the. If you watch some of the differences in some of the games, Ireland are playing Italy, and they don't really let the shackles off until they're thirteen points up, and then they just you know they go they go for it, and you know they put on about fifty points. But in like the very first two minutes of that game, Conor Murray puts up a box kick, okay, in his own twenty-two. Good option. 
get the ball up the field as close. Get it. You don't want to be playing in your twenty-two. We catch it. Tommy Bow, I think, or Andrew Trimble, maybe maybe it was Andrew Trimble who caught it. And um, you know, takes it down, recycles the ball, and then he just puts up another one. And it's just like you've got runners that are coming onto the ball, and it's just like this is the first three minutes of the game against Italy at mm-hmm. home on a clear sunny day in Dublin. It's like what are we doing yeah. here, you know? So I think there is a certain level of 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 structure and just maybe rewiring some of the tactical decisions. But I I agree, but the you can't maybe on on a cold freezing night in Glasgow you're not exactly going to be able to play champagne rugby but there is also an element of this is the kind of coaching culture in Ireland and I think maybe slowly if 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 we have you know six nation sides that aren't making the semi-finals at repetitive World Cups I know this I'm willing to say this one was an anomaly but if we do start to see the bridge starting to further I think there might be some um, rethinking of some of the structures that and some of the the tried and proven um, tactics that we've used in the past. Moving on now, uh, you said Connacht are durable and malleable, but do you think it was a bridge too far against us? To do you think after a six day turnaround in that crunching match we've been talking about, do you think it was just it was just too far? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ulster Ulster Ravenhill is never an easy place to go. They made it a um, fortress this year again, once yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, they have, and they're, they're very high. I mean, they get about eighteen thousand people up there. Like people are just nuts for it up there. <laughs> they, 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 they clearly they have the best attendance in the Pro Twelve, and so they are. They are actually a really hard team. It's going to take someone like a Saracens to come in and really. I mean, they they put Toulouse to the sword about thirty six nil at home. Like it was ridiculous. So. Um, but then I've seen you know Ulster go to ODS and be handled the three points and look absolutely awful yeah. for eighty minutes. So I do think I think also that it must have been emotionally zapping against Leinster because they put everything into it. That was like you know that was an absolute grand final for them, and you know they I think emotionally uh, mentally it must have been draining. So um, given those two factors, given Ulster's strength at home and giving just the sheer magnitude of the game before. Um, I think I think it was always going to be a difficult ask for for Connacht, and I think that also did take advantage. Yeah, like Jack said, I think just the pure physical toll going up to Ulster, um, that huge backline that Ulster have and the pace that they put it on. Yeah, you have the likes of Peter uh, Peter Robin Bundyaki for Connacht. You know they're two physical guys, but you know McCloskey running all day, it's just going to smash. And um, those tiny margins, it's actually not that tiny because Connacht had a six day turnaround from a hugely physical and emotionally sapping game. And uh, you know, Ulster are, are actually a very good team at home. Mm. Yeah, they've been frustratingly uh, fluctuating in terms of the performances. You know, coming to the ODS uh, performances to Saracens and even Ayana away in the first half for that huge comeback. But uh, I thought this was going to be a step too far from Connacht, and I thought that Ulster needed it more, and that that was why that they performed the way they did. Uh, they needed it more than Connacht, and, and that's why they ultimately performed. And it's good to see. Uh, it was good to see Ian Henderson getting another uh, yeah. another eighty minutes under his belt, mm. coming back from that injury. That's just what he needs. I don't want to be setting the world alight in his first two matches back. He just needs time on the pitch. So that Absolutely. was good. R- Rory Best didn't have his his best Six Nations. Um, m- maybe it's not fair to say, but that, that's just my my own my own admission. Um, do you t- he's got the try against Ulster, and you know Cronin had. Not the not not the easiest of times against Munster. Do you think it was just maybe his first year as the captaincy, Rory Best? Now, uh, do you think that that might have got to him a little bit? Yeah, I I think there's definitely a role, like especially in the France game. I think in the, earlier on, when when there was that last twenty minutes, when when things started to go a bit awry, um, he's giving out. He's they gave away I think three penalties on their own line, and I, I think did France go off a off a penalty try. Uh, off a scrum so yeah. it was scrum yeah, and you could see it was coming but I mean 
Look, I mean, different people have different ways of leadership. You, mm-hmm. you could go all out Paul O'Connell and start slapping people on the back <laughs> and start looking at people in the face and saying, come on, we got to lift our game here. Manhood. And yeah, <laughs> exactly, put hairs on chests, you <laughs> yeah. know? But um, I don't think we've really kind of seen that with Rory. And granted, each set our own, not every leader is going gonna, is gonna to lead like that. But in certain situations, I don't know. I, I don't know if he, if he was as good with the ref. I don't know if he was really good at maybe inspiring his own players on on the side. But then, then again, I've I've heard Roy Best absolutely. I think in, in certain Ulster games, players are almost brought to tears by what he said at halftime. So maybe that's different. You know, maybe he's more of a talker outside the game than in the game. Maybe he focuses on his own on his own game as well, particularly during on while well, on the field. So it's um. Yeah, it, it can be it can be a bit of a difficult one, but I think at this stage, I mean, who else would you have given it to? You know, captaincy. Yeah, maybe Heaslip. I think he's the only really other one that's that's there because Peter O'Matney wasn't there. I mean, do you give Johnny Sexton the captaincy? No, you don't give Sexton the captaincy. <laughs> well, who else is there? Uh, you definitely wouldn't give it to Heaslip. Um, performances for Ireland under the captaincy, Declan Kidney's last uh, campaign in charge. I don't think Heaslip's captaincy material, and that's that's. Not a, it, it's not a negative because that's just not what he is you know mm. I'm not asking Keen, um, Jamie Heathrow to be a goal kicker so I'm not asking him to be a captain either um, I think he's a, a very good leader and you definitely see him rallying people in and, and setting the tone after try scores and you definitely need someone like that Section's going to be a voice as well I think you might see Peter O'Mahony coming in um, yeah. and I think players and ex-players put a huge emphasis on Sean O'Brien he's been injury riddled and it's definitely affected his performance when he comes back but he definitely sets a tone in that dressing room and even on the pitch regardless of, of the form that he's playing so I think Peter Matney will be coming in for a good shout mm-hmm. but uh, I think you'll see Rory Best holding on to it for the South African tour even yep. if O'Mahony's fit just just for continuity and I think he did improve and we see what his performances for Ulster as captain he, he's definitely very well capable but I mean we've known O'Brien to be injury prone for some time now and, and like what if they did give it to him against the France game and he's gone in the first 20 minutes you know and then it's like what do you do then so because I mean this guy's going to be your full captain for the whole tournament you're hoping for and Best has proved to be durable so I get that so I, I think it came down to Best Heaslip and I think with the absence of Pierre Matney I think it was always probably going to be it's going to be one of the two and, and Schmidt obviously wanted to go with Best I mean he's probably worked closely with Heaslip he's seen what he's like over the years so and he's probably he's seen Rory over the last couple of years as well so I mean he, he made a decision he stuck by I personally don't think in that particular camp there was a better candidate for the job yeah, I, I think, think he was the popular candidate yeah, as well Yeah, I think O'Matney changes things when he comes back Yeah, um, and especially if he comes back to the same Peter O'Matney that we know him as well, let's just finish off on the Joe Mar- Marler Tribunal, we'll, we'll call it. His hearing with World Rugby today, um, it's for the Samson Lee Gypsy Boy comments. Do you think, he says it's, you know, it, 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 it doesn't really make him a racist, but do you think he's tarnished forever after these comments? I don't think he's tarnished forever. I mean, you kind of look at Joe Marler and you look at the hair and you look at the physique and you look at the beard and you look at the the general way he carries himself on a rugby field. I'm not flabbergasted that something like this he's not a gentleman. has come out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's not... I mean, yeah, so I'm not absolutely jaw-dropped that Joe Marler has been accused of something like this. Um, but I think it more comes down to... He does raise an interesting point. It does one comment make you a racist in, in the heat of the moment? If you're not from England, I think a lot of people would say yeah. I think a lot of people, if, if this accusation was put on a lot of this current English side, I think a lot of people would say yeah. But it's it's does one comment make you a racist? 
it's it's hard to say. I depend. I, th- I think there's a large deal of it would come down to contrition, wouldn't it? How mm. does it look like you're absolutely sorry for it? Does it look like you're trying to get yourself out of a tough, sticky situation, or does it look like you have a general regret? Are you a pillar of the community? And but then we look at Luis Suarez, like he's you know he's had three three or four different allegations, but then he's going around and helping every single charity, and by all yeah. accounts, is a great guy. So. It's like you know you can be, can you be a great guy like Louis Suarez, but you can also be a known and proven racist. So it's like, where do you stand? I think on field actions as well. You know, in between calling people racist, Louis Suarez is also biting people. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's something you have to take into account. Joe Marler, I think no, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think rugby has enough credit in the bank to mm. be perform respectable individuals. Um, I'm not going to make comparisons to football. I think football have had a few bad cases, and mm-hmm. it's tar- I think those individual cases have tarnished the reputation of football. And I think Joe Myers should be given the benefit of the doubt. What should have happened was that he should have been banned. Um, we were saying off air that it was unsportsmanship. Mm. Regardless, if he apologised, that's fantastic, and I think that's a res- you know a great response by Samson Lee. But he should have been punished, weak ban if even uh, you know just that would have done, just immediately, just set the tone. Just keep it out, keep it clean, and I think that would have been uh, the right course of action. It's been blown up to something that it is unnecessary with mm. the the reinvestigation. So um, I think just just to set the tone, just to well, you know, I think the only reinvestigation is because the six stations didn't handle it properly in the first yeah. place. I think, and I think maybe a lot of that had to do they had a grand slam clash coming on, you know, against against France and the France. So there may be that kind of weighed into it, but I think the only reason this is happening is the Six Nations handle the pearly and will rugby have to set in and set a precedent because Six Nations didn't in the first place. So I think that's basically what it's down to. But with regards do you guys think that like external factors can maybe tarnish someone, for instance, that might not be racism but there might be character kind of definitions that we might actually think a guy's more racist because of previous actions so for instance with the John, John Terry, Terry thing do you think that if that was a one isolated incident and the stuff at Wayne Bridge didn't happen that we'd be more likely to believe John Terry but because the whole affair happened with Wayne Bridge do we now automatically kind of think that Terry is more likely to be a racist because he is kind of shown to be a previous a shady kind of person not a lot of players outside the the, the game we're going to talk soccer later uh, but uh, not a lot of players outside the game do like John Terry <laughs> as well you've, you've heard Craig Bellamy in post-match interviews saying you, you we all know what he is and everything you know all, all this stuff and well I mean Craig Bellamy's like not Craig, exactly yeah the... he's not an angel either but you know you, you get I, I, th- I agree with that I think uh, let's just say Della Ali said something like that, you know, someone who hasn't done anything too negative that I'm aware of in his in his lifetime, you know. Everyone sees him as the happy waving soccer player, you know. No an angel, uh, no um, an angel, you know. And but and then he goes off and he calls someone, I don't know, so this, that, and the other. I I think I I I think that's life in a way, and and this is gonna get very deep, but you know, I think that's mm. that's just the way things go. Uh, um, if you don't like someone, you're gonna think more negatively if he d- if he does something. The boy who cried wolf as well, you know that kind of. That kind of uh, stance, but uh, yeah, but you, you don't think even if it's if he gets this not guilty, you know, but if he gets punished, he gets you know uh, th- there is a punishment made against him. You're you're gonna give him a second chance. Yeah, I think he. Uh, it it just depends if there's more. I think stuff like that with the John Terry thing, it kind of if if those kind of incidents start to mount, I yeah. think you're more likely to be less favourable in the public eye afterwards I think these things are accumulative and I think look I think the, I think Marler's 
over his career has been charged of having more awful haircuts than, than <laughs> saying more awful things on the pitch you know he, he I think that's been his biggest crime is what he's done to his hair but I think on the field he hasn't um, he hasn't had a great deal of history of saying these kind of things so I think as long as that happens if this is the biggest high pro incident I think it's time if we see something like this happen again I think it's, it's a trend it's, it's open yeah. yeah it's open water it's it's you know it's it's completely open season on him because it's if you have two incidents like that one you can get away with a mistake twice is I think it's definitely something more systemic and more deep inside you so um, I think he will be punished I think he'll be rightly punished I think you have to take a precedent even if it was in the heat of the moment yeah. I think you have to as as, a, as an organisation and as a brand and as a sport you have to kind of make an example of him and yeah. I think look any if it's if it's a three week ban it's not going to kill you at the end of the day but it is going to set a, a, a precedent because we've seen what happened in soccer if you don't get on racism early NFL, well not racism but NFL precedent with punishment yeah it's not yeah, very great if you, don't, yeah. if you don't handle it out early you're going to set a bad precedent and it's going to be you know somewhat acceptable I almost forgot up it in I apologize you have uh you've you've oh, Brad Thorne go on just well it's it's only because Jack mentioned it uh I get a lot of grief for for Brad Thorne he's a bit of a hero of mine uh, a hero of our all yeah. exactly he's all of our heroes and uh he's he's a great man and uh you even mentioned that great Leinster team Vold, and he was only here for six months but he's definitely a part of it uh <laughs> super rugby under 20s forwards coach Brad Thorne mm-hmm. they uh they they won the title, mm-hmm. uh, beating the Melbourne Rebels uh, thirty five to five. I saw some highlights of the game. It's very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that set piece and line out, you know, they were essential for that victory. So I just like to uh, commend Brad Thorne on his uh, forwards coaching. <laughs> that's all I have. Thanks. That's fair enough. We, we've shout out. We could give shout outs all day, but that's enough rugby. We have time for today. I'd like to thank Billy Keenan and Jack O'Toole for joining me. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. Big Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne, big time. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. The biggest, the baddest, the best. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne. Wow, oh wow, big Brad Thorne.